This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at trustmark.com slash PPP. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Mississippi has more than 100,000 retirees from state service and thousands more employed as teachers, municipal, county, and state workers, all of whom are connected to PERS, the Public Employment Retirement System of Mississippi. So our guest today is Ray Higgins, PERS Executive Director. We're not taking phone calls this morning, but you can always send an email. It's money at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. So uh, we're talking about retirement and pensions today. So, Nancy, what's one piece of financial advice that you would give to someone who is retired? Well, the first thing you need to do is think about how much do you need every month to live comfortably in retirement. And then look at where is that money going to come from. For most people, um, that may be a pension, which is what we'll be talking about today with PERS, uh, your Social Security, and the big question of when you take that. And then is there a gap? Is there more that you need every month? That means your investments, whatever you've accumulated, will have to supply the gap. All right, Ryder, what's uh, one piece of financial advice you'd give to someone to help them prepare for retirement? Uh, so preparing for retirement, Nancy pointed out a great thing is look at look at what you're going to need. And so think really hard about what you want your retirement to look like. Uh, your retirement doesn't have to look like everybody else's. You get to make it up. It's your own thing. And then to reach that retirement, to reach those goals, uh, most likely you're just going to need to save money. All right. As I mentioned, our guest today is Ray Higgins, who's the executive director of PERS, the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi. Ray, thanks for being on the show with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background, if you would. Uh, Well, I'm a native of Georgia, um, born and raised from a town, a small town called Decula, which is right between Atlanta and Athens. Small town when I I grew up there, not so small when I left. Uh, Married with two children, have a 12-year-old son, a six-year-old daughter, and we really love Mississippi. Very glad to be here. Feel uh, very blessed and thankful to have a chance to serve as the next executive director of PERS, and and we really have uh, come to love our new home state. Um, aside from uh, Decula High School, I graduated from Reinhardt College, uh, Georgia Southern University, and Georgia State University. I went to grad school at Georgia State and started my career about that same time and had about a uh, 20-year career in state government in Georgia. Uh, served in all three branches, uh, mostly in the executive branch. And um, most of my positions were financial or administrative in nature, perhaps governmental relations, that sort of thing. But also served as a deputy director and chief operating officer with the Employees Retirement System of Georgia during that stretch. And that was one of the things that excited me so so much about this opportunity. I really have a great interest and passion for pension administration, not only because I think it's a good mix for my education and background, but I really believe in the mission there of what we do and, and truly value the uh, the benefit of a pension and that retirement security. And I think we've all seen that in our our personal lives. Um, as I alluded to, I have a pension uh, waiting for me in Georgia. Hopefully one day I'm trying to build another one here in PERS. And we all have those family connections. I know that my, my father uh, has retired. He retired from the, the county that I grew up in. And I know that that helped sustain him. I had a grandfather that had uh, worked 30, 30 years, four months, and one day uh, for General Motors. And it's not a coincidence that I know that. But I know that it was that pension that helped sustain uh, both he and my grandmother in their later years. Uh, and we all have those family connections. And, and so uh, um, really value the opportunity uh, to work with PERS. Definitely appreciate that, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, how long have you been with PERS? A little over a year. My first official day was uh, July 1st of 2018, so mm-hmm. I just recently finished up my first year and, and going on the second. Nice round number starting on the first day of the fiscal year, so that helps out things, I guess. That's right. So with the name Public Employees in the title, what types of employment in Mississippi enable someone to be covered under PERS? Well, we basically cover all non-federal public employees. We cover your 
teachers, your firefighters, police officers, uh, social workers, uh, state and, and local officials, basically all non-federal public employees. And uh, we serve around 330,000 total members. That's our total membership. That represents about um, 10% of the state's population. And I think even though numbers and analysis is certainly always an important focus of what we do, I think it's very important that we, that we remember the people behind those numbers, um, as, as we just described. Uh, so sometimes workers won't stick with the same agency or job their whole career. Uh, so tell us what happens to their PERS account when a worker leaves state employment. Well, it depends. If if they're not vested, it will stay on account with us until they request something something different. But if they're not vested and they request a refund, they can receive a refund of their contributions and interest. If they are vested, they can uh, leave. And, Ray, let me stop you, and would you explain to our listeners what vesting means? Sure, absolutely. Vesting is a very important part of your retirement. That is basically when you've worked a certain number of years to have that vested benefit. In other words, to be entitled to a retirement benefit at some point down the road. So you have to achieve vesting in order to, to receive your retirement. And in PERS, generally speaking, we have two different requirements depending upon when someone is hired, uh, either a four-year vesting period or an eight-year vesting period. And so if you are vested and you, you terminate covered service, uh, if you're vested, those funds remain on account, and they'll be there waiting for you once you reach a retirement eligibility later on in your career or in your life. Uh, so uh, with Social Security, uh, it's not, you know, one person, is, the money's not earmarked for one specific person. Uh, it's kind of, uh, con uh, it's, it's distributed to all the recipients. Uh, does PERS work on a similar system? It's similar uh, in the fact that uh, PERS is a defined benefit retirement plan uh, as opposed to a defined contribution. And defined benefit plan is very much um, like it sounds. You have a defined benefit during your retirement, and it's based on a formula, based on uh, years of service and your average compensation. So regardless of the employee or member contributions that come in, and regardless of the employer contributions that come in, at your retirement, you will have that defined benefit based on years of service and your average compensation. But, Ray, if you're a, um employee of the state, you do get a statement showing this is your balance in your account. So it feels like there's an amount of money sitting there for you. That's exactly right. We do send out member statements annually. I think we just sent them out uh, recently, uh, earlier this fall. Uh, you do have a member account, and you will have there projected on that. You'll have your contributions and interest, and that is the amount that the member has contributed through time and any accumulated interest as well. Um, how does PERS decide where funds are invested? That's a combination of law and policy. Uh, we have some broad authority outlined in the uh, state code and statute that provides for certain limitations, and then we also have a more comprehensive investment policy that's crafted with the board. And, you know, we want to make sure that we have a very uh, appropriate and diversified portfolio, and we do that primarily through that investment policy determining our asset allocation. And currently, broadly speaking, that is 61% uh, equities, 20% fixed income, 10% real estate, 8% private equity, and 1% cash and cash equivalents. Um, how often is uh, are the investments, I imagine they're reviewed on an ongoing basis to make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck? Absolutely. That's an ongoing process all the time. We have a small in-house investment staff. We also uh, contract with other outside money managers, and we have an investment consultant on staff uh, with on the team with the staff and, and with the board. And, uh, again, it's ongoing, but certainly on a monthly and quarterly basis. Uh, our board meets uh, six times a year, basically every other month, and uh, we will do a review for them each time, and then there's also a quarterly uh, performance review to, to look at the fund, compare the performance, benchmark it against our peer group or other benchmarks, and see that we're in line with our target asset allocation. How does the state of Mississippi compare in size with this plan to other states? Uh, each state's different, but I think we're about the 68th largest in the United States out of about 1,000 from memory as far as the size of our plan and, and assets. Um, would PERS ever get audited to ensure that, that everything is going along as it should be? Absolutely. We're audited uh, quite regularly uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, first and foremost, we have an annual audit from a CPA firm each year that's qualified to to uh, do an audit of, of a retirement system of our size, and that's done in partnership with the state audit department. I'm pleased to report that we've had successful uh, financial reporting in the past. We, we continue to receive the awards from the Government Finance Officers Association for Excellence in Financial Reporting for our CAFR, our Comprehensive Annual Financial Report, and other, other matters, and also from the uh, Public Pension Coordinating Council as far as our efforts around transparency 
administration and funding. So we are audited in, in that respect. Uh, again, I mentioned the investment consultant uh, as well. That's the traditional audit, but with the investment consultant, that is also, they're somewhat independent. They serve as fiduciaries as well, and they are separate from the staff, so there's another independent uh, expert review there as well that's ongoing. And we work a lot with our consulting actuary uh, on a regular basis. They do a variety of reports each year, but every five years or so, we do an actuarial audit as well, just to make sure that the assumptions are reasonable and that, that we're doing good on that front as well. So audited in a variety of ways. We're visiting today on Money Talks with Ray Higgins, who is the executive director of PERS, the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi. Going to take our first break this hour. We're not taking phone calls today, but you can contact PERS at their statewide number. It's 800-444-7377, or you can send an email to their email address. It's customer service at PERS, that's P-E-R-S dot M-S dot gov. We'll continue our discussion with Ray Higgins after the break. How does PERS compare to other retirement funds? We'll tell you that in a moment. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back. If you missed part of the show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org to listen again. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Today we're visiting with Ray Higgins, the Executive Director of the Public Employment Retirement System of Mississippi, PERS. Before the break, we asked a question, and Ray knows his stuff because he told us this. PERS is ranked 68 in assets among the 1,000 largest U.S. retirement funds. Um, Ray, we know that any public employee knows that their paycheck is going to take a big whack because they're going to be contributing involuntarily to this PERS plan. Can you tell us how much does each employee contribute and what does the state put in for them? Sure, that's correct. Uh, there's a mandatory 9% member contribution, and then the state puts in 17.4% as a contribution. Wow, that's amazing. Yep, that's yeah. right, that's right. Much larger than any match that you see on a 401k. Certainly. That's that's the required contributions to make sure to keep the, uh, the plan on a, a solid fiscal footing. Well, that has changed through the years, has it not? That's correct. It has changed, and up until recently, I believe it was 15.75, but the 17.4 went into effect this past July. The board voted on that uh, a little over a year ago, and that incremental increase is slated to and estimated to bring in around $100 million annually in addition to the fund going forward. And so is that based on your actuaries telling you what's happening with distributions and your aging employee group? That is correct. It definitely was based on actuarial analysis and recommendation. In fact, if I may, uh, it was done in concert with a new funding policy. A little over a year ago, uh, we adopted a new funding policy. I think in many ways it's a more comprehensive funding policy. The previous uh, funding policy focused mainly on the funded ratio, and that's comparing your actuarial assets to liabilities. And with a new funding policy, 
efficiency, we had, we kept that, of course, because that's a very popular metric. It's the one we used before. But we added two additional metrics. We added cash flow as a uh, percentage of beginning year assets, and then also the ADEC ratio. And by ADEC, that's an abbreviation or acronym for the Actuarial Determined Contribution. In other words, are you putting in the amount of money that you should to keep things keep things on track? So we added those two metrics. And with all three metrics, we added a signal light approach. And as much like it sounds, just like a red light, green, the metric passes, yellow, the metric passes, but a negative experience could cause concern. And then red, the metric fails and the actuary should recommend to the board or must recommend to the board uh, a contribution increase that would, would bring everything back to green. And in concert with that, the adoption of that new funding policy, the employer contribution rate was raised to 17.4 and that went into effect this past July. Well, we have a really interesting situation because of the state's rights and, and federal issues that uh, private plans are under ERISA but state plans are not. Isn't that correct? That's correct. We're not. And so it's kind of reassuring to hear you talk about all of these metrics that are being used to make sure this is properly funded. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for that. And we we take our fiduciary duty very seriously. Uh, We're always going to strive to do what's best in the system and do uh, we do what we do on behalf of all of our members. We try to serve those who serve others throughout their career. And connected to that, you know, we work with a lot of state uh, employees and retirees, and they love that 13th Check. But that's been very controversial. Uh, do you think that's going to hang around? Well, the additional benefit, commonly referred to as the cost of living adjustment, uh, is intended to be exactly that. The, the cost of living adjustment, of course, is very important. Um, this is something that's outlined in statute. Uh, it's outlined yeah, and in it was really intended just to add to your monthly benefit, right? That's correct, to serve as a, a cost of living adjustment throughout the retirement years. And it's uh, it's outlined in the statute. Um, that's something that's essentially part of the member's benefit. Uh, any changes to that, of course, would take legislative action. And uh, it's very important. It's factored into the calculations and the contributions that we mentioned earlier uh, in order to provide for that. But at the same time, it is also uh, very costly. It has grown, uh, uh, but it's a very important benefit for our retirees. So after a state worker retires and begins to draw from PERS, is that monthly check the only relationship that they'll have with PERS, or are there some other benefits? It's not the only relationship, but it's certainly the most important. It's the primary relationship. And But they would want to make sure and stay in tune, stay involved. They can get a wealth of information from our website at www.pers.ms.gov. And there's also they can sign up uh, for our e-updates, and there's a link available on our website for that as well, where we can email them information about PERS or various updates or regulatory changes or anything of that nature. And there are various associations out there as well. But basically, after retirement, you just want to make sure that your information's current and on file and reach out to us anytime you have questions, anything along those lines. We do have some, we sponsor a retiree life insurance plan and also a Medicare supplement plan, but the primary relationship is with their PERS benefit and and retirement check. And I have to tell you, we work with a lot of these folks as they're getting ready to retire. Just yesterday, I was sitting with someone, and it makes my eyes roll back to see the number of options that they can choose from when they retire. You know, whether it's, I want to get the highest benefit based just on my lifespan, or do I need to consider um, a spouse or children, and all kinds of combinations and even the possibility of taking a lump sum as well as uh, a guaranteed benefit. Um, Has it always been this complicated? Uh, Well, you touch on a a great point. We certainly do have a variety of options. I think we have around seven or eight, not counting the PLSO, which is the partial lump sum option. And they should all be actuarially actuarially equivalent. Um, Yeah, but it's based really on somebody's family situation. Absolutely. They're, They're there and I think designed in a way to hopefully accommodate most folks individual situation and you know if you want the maximum benefit which will be based on your years of service and average compensation whatever that formula works out to be but you can agree to choose another option I think option two is one of our more popular options which allows for a beneficiary to continue to receive the same amount after the retiree's death and that would forward. be most likely a spouse then. that's right most most likely a spouse and and some of them have pop-up and pop-down provisions uh, for example uh, for a pop-up provision let's say you had that option two I think or one of the ones of, of that nature and you your beneficiary passes away before you, then you can pop up to the maximum. Or perhaps if you uh, 
uh, you marry after retirement, you can pop down and provide something for your spouse or your oh, beneficiary. Oh, that's a huge so, benefit, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that was a good point, mm-hmm. that they're actuarially equivalent. And the, there's no way to game it. It's it's based on your expected lifetime, your beneficiary's expected lifetime, and then how much money, you know, essentially that was based on your, your salary and your years of service. So there's no way to game it. And so that makes the choice of which option do I take? Do I want a guaranteed term? Do I want a beneficiary on this? What's the split between me and the beneficiary? It makes that, that's just based on what does your life look like? Exactly. What does your yeah. future life look like? You know, there's no sense of, oh, I need to pull out the calculator and see which one's going to be more dollars because you're trying to outsmart the life tables there. I mean, unless you just know that you're going to live a lot longer than the actuaries think you are or that you know that you're going to live a lot less uh, longer than, than the actuaries think you are. There's no way to kind of game that, really. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, and today we're visiting with Ray Higgins, who is the executive director of PERS, the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi. So, Ray, we were talking about the the, the choices available to uh, retirees when they retire, Uh, and one of the things that I like about PERS is kind of the outreach to employees. I know I've been a state employee for a number of years and have attended several seminars where you all will come out to uh, an agency or whatever and let people know about their options. So if you would talk a little bit about that outreach and, and the effort to keep uh, people informed about their options and that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. We do uh, full-day seminars. We also have early career and mid-career uh, seminars and presentations that you can coordinate through your employer. We have the uh, the PERS on the road or the road show where we do the seminars and the meetings throughout the state. We have what we call focus sessions, which are twice a week at our headquarters office in Jackson where you can come in and learn about uh, your retirement benefit, the retirement process, and, and things to consider as you approach your retirement date. And you also can uh, set up an appointment to meet with one of our retirement counselors. And definitely I would encourage those who are close to retirement to do that. And and we serve walk-ins, but I would highly recommend that you call ahead for an appointment because that will allow us to better prepare and to do an audit of your account prior to that meeting to help better serve you. Well, many times when we have um, a state employee and they retire, it's interesting because they have this guaranteed pension benefit from the state. And then if you add in Social Security, and now they're not contributing to other things they were contributing to, like deferred compensation while they're working, many times they end up bringing home more in retirement than when they were working. I mean, it depends on each individual circumstances, but it is possible because you won't have the uh, employee or the member contribution. As you said, you may not be contributing to your other personal savings or or deferred compensation, and some of the tax status and and withholdings will change as well. So depending on one's years of service, that's possible. Yeah, one of the other things uh, that I actually called down and got an estimate, and so that helps people plan their retirement, was I was able to see, you know, they asked me what my projected retirement date was, and, I, and with that information, they were to tell me what my benefits would be. So, again, I, I do appreciate the, the outreach efforts that keep us state employees informed about what's going on. And, again, as the graybeards get uh, closer to uh, <laughs> retirement, uh, that's even more important. So how many years do you have to have in before you can collect any benefit? Well, it depends. The uh, Depending upon when you were hired, um, there's a couple different provisions that I'll talk about. As far as the vesting requirement that we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, depending on when you were hired, you'll have a four-year or an eight-year vesting period. If you were hired before July 1st of 2007, it's a four-year vesting requirement. If it's after July 1st, 2007, it's an eight-year vesting requirement. And then depending upon when you were hired, you'll be eligible for a retirement benefit at 25 years of service with no age requirement or vested in age 60. Whether it's 25 or 30 years with a no age requirement depends on when you were hired and if that was before or after July 1st of 2011. So you're going to be looking at probably age 60 for you because you may not make your 25 years here. Absolutely. Here I'll be 60 or more, you know, uh, starting later in Mississippi. And so when does it really top out? Because you hear people talking about, oh, at some point, it really doesn't pay you to stay around any longer. Depending on one circumstances, there could be some provisions that may top things out. But really, I think generally speaking, it doesn't because the longer that you work, the more service credit you accumulate. So if you work 25 years, it'll be based on that. If you work 30 or 33 or 34 or 35, uh, your service credit continues to accumulate and that will provide for a higher monthly retirement benefit once you do retire. And also, after you reach 25 or 30 years, depending upon which tier you're in, and that's based on your hired 
date, you actually begin to uh, accrue higher service credit. For example, if you're in the tier, and I guess most people are at this time, where it's to 25 years as far as the full retirement, you accrue basically 2% a year. So if one worked 25 years at 2%, you'd basically have a benefit of 50% of your average salary or of your average compensation. But after year 25, you accrue that at 2.5%. So the longer you work after a certain threshold, you begin to accrue the new benefits. So uh, I want to go uh, back. So at 25 years, you can expect to draw half That's right, roughly 2% a year. So it'd basically be about a 50% of your average compensation. What if a retiree decides uh, in retirement to get some sort of other employment, rejoins the workforce? Does that have an effect on their PERS benefit? It could. They certainly can rejoin the workforce, but they have to be very careful and make sure that they know the rules. Now, you can go back to a non-PERS covered employment, like in the private sector or something like that. Which is what a lot of people do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Certainly. That has no impact and no concern there. But anything associated with a PERS covered employer is very important that you know the return to work rules. First and foremost, the the retiree must have a 90-day break in service, Uh, must have a bona fide break in service. This is very important. We have what's called a qualified plan, and we must maintain our qualified status, and that basically means that we comply with the IRS tax law. And that's very important for the system. It's very important for all of our members. And the IRS requires this bona fide break in service. State law defines that as 90 days. So for that 90 days, it's important that the retiree not go back to work in any capacity at all for any covered employer, not as a worker. you go from one state to another state. No, that that should be okay because that's a different state. It's a different retirement system. It's a so different just, retirement I've plan. I've heard of people crossing over from Louisiana. They've been in that plan and now they're working in uh, Mississippi and uh, building benefits here. That's right. That should be okay. And of course, if anybody has any questions, we have a lot of information on our website and the various guides. We have a retiree handbook. We have a return to work guide, a return to work workbook. So any information like that you can find online or you can contact our customer service center. But you're exactly right. If it's a different state or a different plan, then you should be okay. But anything to do with a PERS-covered employer, which with us in Mississippi here being a large consolidated plan or a unified plan, that's important to be mindful of. Because, you know, some states you have a separate plan for teachers, you have a separate plan for uh, employees, you have separate plans for county and local government, whereas here in Mississippi we're all in PERS. And so you have to be very careful of that and and not to go back in any kind of way, including volunteer work, until you have that 90-day break in service. But after that, you certainly can. And generally speaking, those restrictions are you can go back to work for half time and half pay or no more than 25% of your average compensation at retirement. So how many people in Mississippi are now receiving benefits? Over 100,000. We have around 107, 108,000 retirees receiving benefits. And to comment on that just a little bit, to those retirees, we pay about 2.6 or 2.7 billion retirement benefits throughout the state. Now, what's what's the average monthly benefit, you know? Around 23 or 24,000. And that's with the additional benefit commonly referred to as the cost of living adjustment. So, so that around, would be the annual. That's right. Amount, That'd be yeah. the annual annual average. Um, and we pay out of that $2.6, $2.7 billion, we pay that to all 50 states, to the District of Columbia, Puerto so Rico. So when people move, they still have their benefits. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, we do that to about sixteen. What if they're living outside of the states? Well, we do that as well. We, we send it to about 12 different countries. And all of that, all totaled, about uh, 1,700 financial institutions. But most importantly, uh, around 92% of that stays in the state of Mississippi. That's a lot of economic development. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, uh, a recent study not too long ago uh, indicated that it generates about $2.9 billion in economic activity. When you consider the direct impact, indirect impact, induced impact, about $2.9 billion, and generates about two or $300 million in state and local tax revenue as well. All right, we need to take another break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. When we get back from the break, we'll continue our discussion with the Executive Director of the Public Employment Retirement System of Mississippi, that's PERS, and we're visiting today with Ray Higgins. We can't take your phone calls today, but you can always contact PERS at their statewide number. It's 800-444-7377, or you can email them with their email address. It's customerservice at PERS, which is P-E-R-S dot M-S dot gov. How large is the state service workforce? We'll tell you that in a moment. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. 
You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Welcome back to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. The active membership of PERS, which is composed of state, county, and municipal workers, comprises almost 14% of Mississippi's workforce. We're talking today about the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi with the Executive Director, Ray Higgins. So, Ray, um, you know, a lot of people, when they retire, they lose their health insurance. In fact, we talk to a lot of people who say, I've accumulated enough money, but I can't retire because I don't qualify for Medicare yet. But I understand that state employees have the option of continuing their coverage, right? That's correct. If you're a state employee or a teacher that uh, participates in the plan already, you can elect to continue that uh, into retirement. And uh, we don't administer that particular program. That's with the Mississippi Department of Finance and Administration. However, if you do elect to continue, that, you know, we can deduct that from your retiree payroll. Do you know about how much that is on average? I do not. That's something we may have to research. But we also sponsor a retiree life insurance plan and a retiree Medicare supplement plan. The information is available on our website. I mean, that's just a huge benefit because you're talking about a lot of people who, once they hit 25 years or 30 years, may have a long time until they qualify for Medicare. So to have that option is huge. That's correct. And even though I'm not sure of the exact averages or percentages, I do know that the cost does does, generally speaking, go up in retirement, but still, to have the option is still a benefit. Trust me, it's a lot cheaper than trying to find it on your own. That's right. That's right. All right, so we've been talking some uh, bit about retirees, but let's uh, focus a little bit now on current state workers and their relationship with PERS. Is it optional to contribute to PERS? It's not. It's a mandatory contribution. That's 9% of their compensation that's required, and that's the nature of a defined benefit plan, having the the requirement there. Um, But it's uh, an important way to invest in the system to make sure we have the funds to provide for their retirement benefit once they get to their retirement years. And those defined benefit plans have become dinosaurs. I mean, we just don't see them anymore. Um, That really started happening in the 70s with the passage of ERISA and the requirements uh, that private plans were under. They started to move away from that to 401ks, which are the defined contribution plans. Mm -hmm. Our concern is uh, we're seeing the average 401k contribution for somebody in their 50s is only $150,000. That is not enough to cut it. When you're having to build your own um, portfolio to support you in retirement. So a pension plan is wonderful, but we are just not seeing younger people have access to those any longer, and those public plans are about the only ones left. And I would like to point out one uh, optional part of PERS, which is a great feature, the Mississippi Defined uh, or Deferred Compensation part. And so that is, that's an option option for state workers. Is that available to all state workers, uh, the MDC part? Absolutely. Um, MDC, Mississippi Deferred Compensation, that's a plan that we administer. Information is available on our website, which can also take you to our third-party administrator for that would highly encourage everybody to check into that and, and but that's optional right because that yeah. is like a 401k and so that, plan and, and that would be on top of their required defined benefit part a- absolutely that's voluntary and it's a supplemental that's on, on top of the defined benefit you're exactly right and it's a 457 plan which is very similar to a 401k plan and uh, you know i would encourage everybody to take the the three-legged stool approach you know you have the defined benefit uh, portion as far as your retirement savings and then you have social security that was mentioned earlier in the show but then you have personal savings. And our 457 plan with MDC, Mississippi Deferred Compensation, is a great way for our for the state employees and others to, to save in, in a tax-deferred way. Well, we encourage folks to do that, but it's kind of a hard sell sometimes because when they're seeing about, you know, 9 to 10% of their paycheck lopped off, um, mm-hmm. and they're just trying to cover their expenses in the meantime. But we will just say to them, whatever you can put in deferred compensation that saves you on taxes, and that's going to build over time and be a great supplement to your pension. That's right. Every little bit helps, and uh, the sooner you start, the better. All right, so it's not optional con- to contribute to PERS, but can you make extra contributions, or is that sort of what the deferred uh, comp is for? That's correct. The 9% is set, but the, any additional contributions will be in your deferred compensation program. Uh, you can, at retirement, convert some unused leave toward your retirement benefit, but you can't make any additional financial contributions. Okay. Uh, can, you, can workers take out a loan from their contributions? No, loans are not permitted um, against their contributions. 
All right. Uh, and if someone leaves state service, can they roll over their contributions to another account? Generally, they can. They need to make sure and consider their personal circumstances and the, the status of the other plan. But generally, you can roll over to another qualified plan. And I would point out that if you're already vested, so you can take your contributions out even if you're vested. Is that correct? You can. We wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but, but right. you can. Because at that point, you know, the state has been putting in, in the past, 15%, now 17% on top of your 9%. So as you can imagine, the benefit is going to be based off of a much larger amount than just what you've put in. That's right. Your benefit is defined uh, based on your the formula, which will be your years of service and your highest four years of compensation. And so what if somebody moves to service with another state? Can they say, okay, well, I've got 10 years with PERS. Can I just move those and put those with my Alabama time? Or how does that work? It depends. Each state's different. Uh, various states have provisions of transferring in or buying in out-of-state service or military service or additional things like that. But it really just depends on the plan and, and the state at the time. All right, we've mentioned vesting a couple of times, and I think we talked about it earlier, but it's important to remind folks that are listening what exactly is vesting and how it works. Well, vesting is when you've worked enough to be entitled to a retirement benefit at some point down the road. It's when you've reached the threshold that you've, you've earned your retirement. And in Mississippi, we have two main uh, thresholds, four-year four year vesting or eight-year vesting, and that depends upon when you were hired. If you were hired uh, July, before July 1st, 2007, there's a four-year vesting requirement. If you're hired July 1st, first 2007 or later, it would be an eight-year vesting requirement. Uh, what happens to someone if they were to die before they retire? Well, it depends um, on their individual circumstances. If they were not vested, then the beneficiary would be entitled to a refund of their contributions and interest. If they are vested and not yet retired, um, then the spouse or, say, dependent children could be eligible for some type of survivor benefit, and it, it just kind of depends. The longer the years of service, the, the higher the benefit may be. And then if um, one is eligible to retire but is not yet actually retired, uh, there's something that we have an advanced app. We call it an advanced application. Anybody that meets that scenario, we would recommend that they fill out an advanced application. And what that is, it allows you to come in before you actually retire and fill out that application so that you've basically made arrangements so that should something happen before you actually go forward with the retirement, then it's set up for your beneficiary as you as you uh, saw fit in advance. And you can certainly change that prior to retirement. You can change it multiple times. We'll go with the last one we have on file. And then, of course, hopefully when you reach your true retirement, uh, we can finalize everything then. So how many people actually take some of those lump sum options? Uh, I don't know the exact percentage, but uh, but a fair number definitely do that, and it depends on uh, your years of service. You're kind of bird in the hand. That's right. Yeah. One, one, one bird in the hand better than two in the bush. And yeah. as we mentioned earlier about the different options, a lot of times when, when – when a potential retiree comes through and meets with our staff and we do an audit of their account, we'll show them the various options and the various scenarios on what the monthly benefit would be with or without that PLSO or partial lump sum option. And um, and oftentimes, you know, they choose that. And, and sometimes they may roll it over to another qualified plan and move forward. And to be eligible for that, uh, depending on when you were hired, you have to have either 28 years or 33 years of service. And then there are three different options. You can have the equivalent of 12 months, 24 months, or 36 months of your monthly benefit. In Again, that it just makes my eyes roll back <laughs> in my head when I look at all of those on a paper. But I, I, go ahead. I mean, again, you know, just going back to what you had said previously about those all being actuarially fair um, options, then, you know, the decision to take that partial lump sum isn't, again, oh, I'm going to end up with more money just because I took this, because, again, it reduces your future payments. But it's, do I have need for having a pile of cash that I can pull from? Do I have need? Need to have or, that flexibility. Well, or do I need to have the highest amount every month, right. or can I live comfortably with a lower amount, knowing that there's uh, a pile of cash parked over here for me? Exactly, and and I know a lot of folks talk about this. Um, you know, we see this maybe a little bit more with private pensions. People say, "Oh, I don't think my company's going to be around in you know 20 years, so I want to take as much on the front end as I can." But PERS is an obligation of the state of Mississippi. So long as so long as we have a state here, or we're going to be paying out. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. You basically have a guaranteed benefit. Uh, we talked a little bit about beneficiaries. Uh, is that something that, uh, as, as you enter state service, that you pick that? And I, I would hope that it's not 
particularly set in stone, that that can change maybe as life uh, situations change? That's exactly right. I think it's very important that you uh, name your beneficiaries and keep that current and update those throughout your life as you need to. Uh, please do that. If you ever have any questions about that, they can find it on our website or uh, call or email our customer So if you go center. on the website, you can see who you've listed as your beneficiary? No, but you can see the, the process for changing a beneficiary or the various so forms it, are required. Is it, is it not reported to employees at any point on a statement somewhere? It's usually on their member statement. Each year when we send those out annually, okay. we should have the beneficiaries listed there. So they need to put their eyes on that and make sure that that is current because, as Kevin said, you know, families change, life changes. That's right. Absolutely. Can they change the beneficiary if they're doing a uh, survivor benefit? It depends. Now, going back to those multiple options earlier, it depends on each one and the various circumstances, but some options allow you to change a beneficiary after you retire. Some do not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some require that the beneficiary be a person. Some may be allowed to be a trust or an estate. It just really depends on the option that the person chooses. That's very interesting. All right. Now, my brother is listed as my beneficiary, so if anything fishing, anything ever happens to me, I I Uh want everybody to go and and check him out first there. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you always want to make sure, and this is, you know, a more general point, you always want to make sure that your beneficiary lines up with, you know, what your real life looks like. And, you know, so if you if you get married or get divorced, you know, making sure that you update those or, you know, you get a new pet and that pet needs to be your beneficiary, um, you need to make sure that that beneficiary situation really does align with your real life. On Money Talks today, we're visiting with Ray Higgins, who is the executive director of PERS, the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi. So, Ray, how close to um, uh, retirement do you think someone begins to, A, begin to start thinking about retirement, but also then kind of meeting with and and uh, and, and uh, taking advantage of some of the advice and, and information from PERS? Sure. Well, well, definitely don't wait the last minute. You know, you want to start the process at least 90 days in advance of your retirement, uh, anticipated retirement date, but really six months to a year. Uh, out from retirement, you want to begin to get very serious and looking at your different options. And in fact, I'd probably recommend anybody who's within that two to five year range to begin to, of course, make sure you look at your member statements throughout the years, request an audit of your account when you're in that two to five year range, Um, come over and uh, meet with one of our retirement counselors, make an appointment so we can do an audit of your account and go over that with you and the various options with you. Attend a focus session where we do those twice a week at our offices in, in Jackson, where you can learn about the retirement benefit as well as the retirement process and things to consider. And then also, um, if one uh, has uh, has one, you know, make sure and meet with your financial advisor or your CPA and consider your own personal circumstances. And so two to five years, I think, is of course, it's, it's never too early to begin re- planning for retirement. But once you get close, you need to, to start making arrangements. So is there a window of time when you can change your mind? Well, so that you, you've, you've selected one option, you do, maybe you've decided you didn't want the health insurance or the life insurance. Is there a window of time when you can go back and say, no, 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 I've changed my mind? Basically, up until you receive your retirement benefit and, and cash the check, so to speak, you could possibly change it. But after that, then it, it's, it's established. Until, of course, if you were to later down the road re-enter active service, uh, and you, you come out of retirement, you come back to work as a contributing member of PERS, then after a certain amount of time, you may be eligible to retire again, retire again a second time, and then you could perhaps change your options. But generally speaking, once you retire, it's, so you, it's established. So you, you need to make sure it's right the first time. That's right. It's very important, <laughs> especially for some of those that are irrevocable as far as your options with the beneficiaries and so forth. Absolutely. And again, kudos to you folks. I've attended several of those seminars here that were offered here at the agency, and you know, they do do a real good job. Again, we've talked about the, just the wide variety of options and things, and it's it's really great for retirees, but the, your folks do a really excellent job when they come out to help ex- make sure that everybody understands what those options are. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. All right. So we're going to take a break. We're not taking phone calls today, but you can contact PERS at their statewide number. It's 800-444-7377. You can send an email to their email address. It's customer service at PERS, P-E-R-S. What job do most of the public sector workers perform? We'll tell you that when we get back to wrap up the show. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. 
56% of the public sector workforce in Mississippi is employed in education. These workers and other state workers who combined to number over 150,000 people have retirement benefits covered by the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi, or PERS. And today we've been visiting with the executive director, Ray Higgins. So, Ray, we mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but again, kind of give us an idea who is covered by PERS. You said it's sort of a consolidated system here in Mississippi. That's correct. We're a large consolidated or unified system, and we cover basically um, all non-federal public employees. We cover your teachers, your firefighters, police officers, local officials, state officials, uh, social services workers, um, basically all non-federal em- employees in the state of Mississippi. Is there some class of workers who is not covered? Uh, the the um, Not really. I mean, of course, the private sector or nonprofits or things like that, but basically all of your government-type employees, aside from the federal government, are covered as a part of PERS. And with a total membership for the system of around 330,000, that represents about 10% of the state's population. And, you know, as I've mentioned before, uh, numbers and analysis is always a very important part of my, our job, and we have to look at that. But I think it's important to remember the people behind those numbers because these benefits are, are there for those teachers who educate our children, for those social services workers who help those in need and just uh, public officials of all of all levels. So state employees, county employees, city employees, all of them under PERS. That's right. That's correct. So one thing I know you've emphasized kind of throughout is that, you know, any PERS members can always, they can always look on the website, they can always call customer service. And I will say, as, as someone who has worked with a lot of PERS members, um, y'all do have fantastic customer service. Also, just the PERS member handbook, um, it's maybe a little bit long for just light afternoon reading, but it is very comprehensive. And, and, it, and a lot of times I'll call in and they'll say, well, if you look on page 26 of the member handbook, you'll see the answer to that question. Like, oh, thank you so much. Um, but what other resources do y'all have? for PERS members or folks who need to uh, learn learn about that? I know y'all mentioned um, focus groups and, and, and employer sessions. That's true. Well, as you mentioned, there's a wealth of information on our website, uh, various handbooks and guides. And we do have some abbreviated guides like a service retirement guide or a disability retirement guide or whatever the case may be where it takes some of that information and boils it down into a smaller package. Um, but you can also call our customer service center at any time. We can email customer service at any time. And we have, uh, we want to serve our members in a variety of ways. We have focus sessions, which are, we have them twice a week at our offices in Jackson, where you can call in, come in into a small group setting and learn about your benefit and the retirement process and your retirement options. We also do full day seminars throughout the state. And we uh, do the, like the PERS Roadshow, where we'll go out and meet with the early career employees or mid-career employees that can be coordinated through your employer as well. So we want to make sure that we're available and that our retirement counselors are available available in a variety of ways. And, and, and one can also request uh, an individual appointment. You call ahead, make an appointment to come over and meet with one of our staff members in an individual way to go over their benefits and options as well. And we've given it out a couple of times, but it never hurts to repeat that the statewide number is 800-444-7377. Also an email address, customerservice at PERS, P-E-R-S, dot M-S, dot gov. Ray, what is the website? It is www.pers, P-E-R-S, dot M-S, dot G-O-V. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about really what a, a great system this is, and, and, it, and, and um, if people are retired, maybe looking for things to do, a lot of retirees like to volunteer, and I would think that maybe giving back, are there any opportunities for volunteerism at PERS? Well, you certainly can volunteer at any type of uh, PERS-covered employer, like if you want to do that in your local community or at your local school system or, or, or something uh, close to your home, you can do that. Of course, make sure that you're familiar with any of the return-to-work provisions and the rules and, and guidelines. The, probably the most important for a new retiree is making sure that they have a 90-day break-in service. The IRS requires a bona fide break-in service. State law defines that as 90 days, so you want to make sure that you don't go back to work with any kind of PERS-covered employer for 90 days in any capacity, whether that be part-time, full-time, uh, volunteer work, independent contract, or anything like that. Now, after the 90 days, you can, and generally, you can, uh, certainly you could volunteer, but then also you may work it for half-time and half-pay, 
or up to 25% of the average compensation at retirement. I want to emphasize again how important this benefit is. Um, most young employees now going into the workforce, uh, they're not going to be working for an employer that offers them a pension unless they're a public employee. And uh, so this is a huge benefit, and you will often hear people complain about, oh, the salaries as a public employee are very low, but the benefits are wonderful. And for those people who stick with it, they're going to find a very secure, well-paying retirement. Certainly, that is definitely the case, and I agree, and I'm thankful to have the opportunity to do that and to build that myself. Uh, And that's why it's so important also that we do our job as fiduciaries to make sure that we continue to take any necessary steps going forward to make sure that that benefit is there for those that are working now and those that work in the future. So as we kind of wrap up the show, begin to end the show, maybe we could recap uh, maybe some of the things that retired state employees need to keep in mind when it relates to uh, PERS. Well, PERS is stable. Uh, you know, they can count on their benefit, and we're going to work together as fiduciaries to make sure that we can do that. And as far as the retirees, which are over 100000 throughout the state, we pay out about $2.6 or $2.7 billion in benefits that ripple throughout the state, creating a large economic impact and also generating state and local tax revenue. And for those uh, approaching retirement, you know, definitely don't wait till the last minute. Uh, make sure you start the process within 90 days in advance of your anticipated retirement date. And really six months to a year, begin to get serious and uh, meet with all the appropriate individuals and consider your options. And even for those that are in the two to five year window, request an audit of your account, come uh, to one of our focus sessions, meet with a PERS representative, uh, meet with your financial advisor or your own local CPA just to consider your options. And and if you have any questions, please feel free, of course, to contact us in any way because we're here to uh, to try to serve our membership. And I think uh, something that maybe uh, uh, new employees can think about, and it's something we mentioned earlier in the show, so if you could remind us about the, the deferred compensation opportunities. Absolutely. One of our other programs, in addition to the traditional pension, if you will, the, the PERS defined benefit plan, we have M- DC, Mississippi Deferred Compensation. It's a voluntary 457 plan, which is similar to a 401k you might hear about in the private sector. And there is an opportunity for those to accumulate their personal savings through that 457 plan um, on a tax-deferred basis. Nancy, why why is it so important for young workers to really kind of think about that earlier in their career? Well, I think um, with the changes, especially in Social Security, um, younger workers, you have a better chance of convincing them to pay more attention to that because they're not sure Social Security is going to be there for them. Changes in Social Security is a real gentle way to say it might not be (laughs) there. It might not be there. And so those pensions become very important, putting in your time, knowing when your vesting period is and what those benefits will be, and then also participating in that 457 plan, the deferred compensation. In addition to that, it will pay off down the road. And I think with any, any sort of savings things, um, you know, program that you get started on, getting started early is going to be one of the biggest things, because that means the money that you put in has longer to grow, uh, and that means you're forming that habit earlier. And savings, as I say often, maybe not often enough, maybe too often, y'all let me know in the notes, um, savings is a habit, and you know, just getting into that, and so you have that discipline of savings throughout your whole career. And again, with the deferred comp, there are options for where you invest your money, how much you invest your money, and again, that can change uh, based on the needs as you as you go through your career in state service. Want to give the number one more time for the statewide number for PERS is 800-444-7377. And you can also reach them via email at customerservice at PERS, P-E-R-S dot M-S dot gov. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio and is funded by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpb online.org or just listen to the podcast search for money talks on your favorite podcasting app our show is produced by liz gill so for dr nancy lotter janderson Ryder taff and our guest ray higgins i'm kevin farrell stay tuned because up next at 10 it's in legal terms and we'll be back next tuesday at nine for another money talks that's heard only on mpb think radio Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at Trustmark.com slash PPP. Member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 